I love this time. And uh, we're so excited because next Sunday, we are launching a full-time campus in the city of Brockton, Massachusetts. This is a, a very special time for us as a church because we do have all the locations, but this is the first time that this particular church is having a baby church from scratch. Like we're birthing a baby. I, I don't think you realize how much of a big deal that is. We're having a baby and her name is Brockton, Massachusetts. And we ought to give Jesus some praise that we are a church that's not birthing churches. Don't act like it's too cute. This is what it's all about. It's about being a blessing in a mighty way. I don't know why some of y'all are still sitting there like, well, I don't know what the big deal is. It's a big deal. We're launching a church that's going to bless hundreds upon hundreds of people the way God has blessed you, he wants to bless others in the city of Brockton and all around it. You got to take a moment and praise Jesus for his church. It's a big deal. Sit down. It's a very big deal. This is the heart of Jesus, that we will launch campuses where people can receive life. And today, as we launch a church, I want to bring us back to the heart of Jesus for why the church is so important and why we need to have constant vision for it. Because if not, we'll come to church and just play it. We came to be the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, we didn't come to be entertained. We didn't come to be told how to live your best life now. You came to live the best life that Jesus created you to live. If you can't tell you, I'm a little fired up this morning. So I hope you're ready for the word this morning. Someone said bring it. I like that. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. And I'm going to focus on three verses in Matthew 9 to give us a heart and a mandate from Jesus himself about what it means to be the church. It's one thing to sing about it. It's another thing to be about it. Hello, somebody. Jesus said this in Matthew 9, verse 35. He says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great. But the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. That is the word of the Lord. Can you say amen? About 12 years ago, 
God came back to earth. Oh, you guys didn't know he did. This time, not as Jesus, but he came back as Bruce. About 12 years ago, there was a movie that came out called Bruce Almighty. Where Jim Carrey plays God. And the premise of the movie was that Jim Carrey was frustrated with God. He was frustrated that God wasn't doing his job the way that he thought God should be doing his job. And so God comes to Jim Carrey in the form of Morgan Freeman. We need an audio Bible with Morgan Freeman's voice. So you version, get on it. And to have this conversation where he's like, man, you're not doing a good job running the universe. And so God decided, what if I give you the powers to be God and you run the universe and see how you do. And there's a scene in the movie where Jim Carrey, now he's, he's God, he's Bruce Almighty. And now he's trying to figure out how do I answer people's prayers? What's interesting about prayer requests is that it reveals a lot about us. It reveals our hearts. It reveals our desires. It, it, it reveals our devotions. It reveals what we care about. It reveals about the things that matters to us. Right? And the Bible does say to, to ask, right? The Bible says ask, seek, knock, right? So prayer requests are a good thing. But what's interesting is if you pay closer attention to those prayer requests, you would find that a lot of them had nothing to do with God. It's all about the person, nothing about God. And if I can come in closer, I would say a lot of times our prayer request has nothing to do with God. It's all about us. Again, nothing wrong with your request, nothing wrong with asking, nothing wrong with seeking, nothing wrong with knocking. But once in a while, we've got to ask the question, if there is a God on the other side of this prayer request, what does he want? Because, because when we dive into who God is, we know that God also has desires. God also has motives. God also wants things accomplished. God also has, believe it or not, prayer requests. I don't know if you noticed, but in today's passage, Jesus has a prayer request. And I wonder once in a while if we can stop and ask the question, do my prayer requests align with his requests? And by the way, that is quiet in this Presbyterian church tells me that maybe we got some work to do. But what's interesting is God makes this clear that, that many times what we're thinking about is not what he's thinking about. What, we, what he wants is not necessarily what we want. Matter of fact, in the book of Isaiah, he says this to the prophet in, in chapter 55. This is God's words. God said this. He said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither my, your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. So my friends, once in a while, if we are saying we follow this God, we got to ask the question, is my prayer request aligned with his thoughts and his ways? Because if my prayer requests are not aligned with these thoughts and his ways, perhaps it's not this God that I'm worshiping, perhaps it's me. Perhaps I'm the God that's on the other side of this conversation. Perhaps it's all about me at the end of the day. Warning. 
This message will trigger some selfishness out of us. Can you say amen? See, sometimes we got to go back to go forward. Sometimes we need to come back to basics and say, what is this thing all about? What is the point of us being here this morning? What is the point of this thing that we call Christianity? What is the point of this thing that we say we do, right? What is the point? Because if we miss the point, then we miss the mark. And if we miss the mark, then we in sin. So once in a while, we need to go back. I don't know if you remember, but back in the 90s, we used to have a bracelet that said WWJD. What would Jesus do? Why? Because to be a Christian is to be like Christ. It's literally what Christianity actually means. It's to be a mini version of Christ. Christians, Christians just like Christ. Mini versions of Christ. Christ. And so once in a while, I got to ask the question, am I looking more like Christ? And one of the revelations of that is, what do I pray about? Because nothing reveals my heart more than my prayer life. So my friends, once in a while, we got to go back to WWJD because this is what this whole thing is all about, right? Go ahead. To be a Christian is to live like Jesus. That's the purpose. Not only is it to live like Jesus, but to be a Christian is to care about what Jesus cares about. So in a way, this message today is a test. Because the Bible tells you to test yourself to see if you're really a Christian. To not take it for granted, to, to, but just because you're in the house doesn't mean you are in Him. So we got to go back to go forward once in a while. We got to check our motives. We got to check our intentions. We got to check our desires, our cravings to say, is my thoughts aligned with these thoughts? Is my ways aligned with these ways? Or am I just doing my thing and call it Christianity? I might as well call it me-anity and not Christianity. Because a lot of what we do has nothing to do with Jesus. But the whole thing is about being like Jesus. Jesus. The whole thing we read today, Jesus, I don't know if you saw it, but he's putting his heart a display. Why? Because to see him is to see the Father. They said, Jesus, show us the Father. He said, in the flesh. If you ever wonder what God is like, look at Jesus. If you're wondering what does God care about, look at Jesus. If you're wondering if you're following God, are you following Jesus? Because that's what it means to be a Christian. Anything less than that, you're just a nice, cute, religious person. And there's a difference between following Jesus and being religious. He makes it clear in this passage that Jesus has a heart's desire. That Jesus clearly loves to do the will of the Father. And what is the will of the Father? To reach more people like he made it clear here like listen i'm on a mission to reach more people he makes no bones about it he makes no apologies about it like i didn't come to build your fantasy team i didn't even come to build your family i didn't even come to build your business i didn't come to build your social media platform i came to build only one thing I came to build the church. 
And that's it. And the beauty of that is, if you're the church, then it builds all those things that you care about. Oh, you thought you were left hanging. Because if you are the church, then Jesus does care about your family. He does care about your finances. He does care about those things. But he said, seek first my kingdom. And I will add all these things that people worried about, freak out about. But it's got to be that we're aligned with his heart. We're aligned with what he cares about. And here, he makes it clear. In three verses, Jesus gives you the premise of this whole journey that we're on. Of what it means to follow him. Actually follow him, not go to church. It's one thing to say, build the church. Another thing to say, build through me. Because last time I checked, he ain't building buildings, he's building people. And he, and he makes a reference here to people. He says, people are the harvest. You have to appreciate what a harvest is, especially for them where they, require, they rely so much on farming for food, for crops. Pastor Antonio just sent me a message a couple of weeks ago. He, he was rejoicing, celebrating that Cape Verde got some rain. And rain means crops. It means like there's life. And once again, you know why God can't win with us? In Cape Verde, we pray for rain. In America, you guys pray against rain. <laughs> to some people, rain is a nuisance. For some people, rain is a blessing because it brings life. You see why your prayer request can jack you up? You could be praying against the very thing that God wants to do. <laughs> Hello, somebody. That will preach. Thank you, sister. Appreciate it. He says, the harvest is there. And just, just so you know, this is the definition of the harvest. It's the process or period of gathering crops. And Jesus is saying, man, to me, the harvest is people. Not fruits, not vegetables, people. So it's like, man, we are in a harvest season. We are in a, in a process of seeing so many people come. To know me. This is what it's all about. When you're talking about reaping and sowing, Jesus is like, yes, I believe in it. I just want the reaping to be people. It works in finances. It works in other things. But here, Jesus is like, man, I'm equating reaping and sowing with people. Because the greatest treasure in God's economy is people. That's why till this day, you have never seen a funeral with a U-Haul attached to it. I'm about to do a funeral. I have never heard anyone talk about what people have at their funeral. They talk about who the person was, not what they had or didn't have. People is God's greatest treasure. That's who he died for, for people. But he said, the problem is, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. He's like, man, we got a lot of people to reach. We just don't have enough people to reach them. Why? Because our prayer requests don't align with these prayer requests. We pray about a lot of things, but do we pray about being what God's called us to be? Because here, I don't know if you catch this, you have prayer requests, Jesus is like, I've been blessing you, I've helped you, 
There's no way you get to life without him. You wouldn't be here this morning without him. But at some point, you got to ask the question, when am I also going to return the favor and answer his prayer requests? Because last time I checked, it's a two-way street. It's a, it's a relationship. And here, Jesus showed his heart. He's like, man, I have a prayer request, guys. Pray for more workers. Pray for more people that will join the harvest. That's why today is such a powerful day for us to send out people into the harvest in the city of Brockton because that is the heart of Jesus, to reach more people. And to be honest with you, we all need a Brockton. We all need a mission. Because if you're not on mission, you're off mission, and usually you get in the way of the mission. When we make it about me, myself, and I, and what I want. Like some of y'all came today looking for one more blessing, and Jesus is like, when are you going to be a blessing? I don't know about you, we are already blessed. Question is, will you be a blessing? That's the heart of Jesus here. He's calling us into the harvest. You don't even have to look far to see the harvest. It's at your job. It's where you work. It's where you shop. Some of you, your harvest is in your home. The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. So when are we going to start answering God's prayer? Because here, in three verses, my friends, he gives you the entire structure for what to do. He says, this is what I'm calling you to do. Why? Because he doesn't do anything without first modeling it for you. Jesus is not one of those, do as I say, not as I do. Jesus is like, no, do as I do, and I go before you to show you how to do it. If you pay attention, if you're taking notes, man, he gives you a template to live on mission in three verses. What do we see in this chapter? First of all, what do we see? Number one, we see that he, Jesus himself, traveled to all towns around Galilee. He went to every town, every village, bringing this good news, bringing the church with him. And this is why for us today, it's massive because... We're planting one more campus in a different town or in a different city. Following the model that Jesus gave us over 2,000 years ago. So this is no small thing. This is a big deal that God is like, I'm trusting you to birth one more place where people can find me, find hope, find healing, find restoration, find power, find affirmation, find life. Because when they find Jesus, you find life. It's no small thing. What's the second thing you see here? You see that he went and started teaching in the synagogues. So important because a lot of times people say, I don't need to go to church to follow Jesus. Well, Jesus went to church. So you're smarter than Jesus. The synagogue was the Jewish church of the day. So he says, man, I, I go to church services. Jesus grew up going to church and continued to go to church. And he started there teaching the good news of the kingdom in church. So when people say, I don't have to go to church, my question is, then who are you following? Because I don't have to go home to be a husband either. I don't have to go home to be a father. 
But man, me without my family, what does it mean to be a husband without your wife? What does it mean to be a father without your children or your family around you? What's that mean? Because we all know the difference between a father and a dad. Not every father is a dad. Because not every father is present. Hello, somebody. So he doesn't just say it for us. He models it by going to church and planting churches in different areas and regions so people can be in communion exactly where they are. What's the next thing you see? You see that he healed every disease and sickness. Because where the presence of Jesus is, there's healing. And so my friends, you have to understand, he said, he said, when you start doing this, when two or three are gathered in my name, I am right in the middle of you. And where I am, you can bind, you can loose, you can believe for miracles, you can believe that nothing is impossible to those who believe. And if you have a testimony of healing, you got to give Jesus some praise because he's the one that heals. Physical healing, emotional healing, family healing, deep healing of the soul that no one else would know, but we know that Jesus got there and he brings healing. So think about it. How many more people are going to find this as we go into Brockton? How many more people are going to say, my marriage is healed, my life is healed, I am restored, I am no longer broken, I, I'm no longer addicted. Why? Because where Jesus is, there's healing, there's restoration, there's power, there's deliverance. The gates of hell cannot prevail against those who follow Jesus. There's healing in the atmosphere where you call on Jesus. What else do we see? We see him saying, "My man, this is so powerful. Jesus walked around, he looked at people with compassion. This word, my friends, is so powerful that it is unique to the New Testament Greek because no one else had compassion like him. They had to find a word for this in Greek because they said Jesus was so moved by people that he, that he compelled him to help there's a difference between feeling bad for someone and helping someone. Jesus was so moved that he said that he would be moved in his bowels, like he would be moved in his depth of his soul to see people broken, hurting, confused, helpless. And Jesus was like, man, we can't live like this is not the way God intended. It's not God's will. So compassion is not feeling bad. Compassion is being moved to action to help another human being. That's the heart of Jesus. You got to ask yourself the question once in a while, if you say you follow Jesus, do you have a heart for people? If people are a problem to you, they're a nuisance to you, you don't have the heart of God. Don't lie to yourself. The Bible says, if you fail the test, do something about it. Repent and ask him for his heart. But don't pretend that you do. She's not feeling bad. Everybody thinks feeling bad is, is, is having a good heart. Everybody has a romanticized idea what it means to help versus the reality of helping. There's a difference, my friends. This is about caring deeply for people. 
seeing people through the eyes of Jesus. You just heard Robin's story. Jesus worked on her to the place that she can see her mom through the eyes of Jesus. That's when you know Jesus is real, when he's touched you so deeply that your heart breaks for others. Right, compassion, we gotta ask ourselves the question, am I flowing in compassion? Because I hate to say this, but majority of people know Christians as judgmental, not compassionate. What is the next thing you see here? He says, man, I'm so moved by this. He says, people are like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, everyone needs a pastor. That's another word for shepherd. Everyone needs a place to go to find healing, to find hope, to hear the message of Jesus, to be reconstructed into the person that they're created to be. That's why it's important to ask myself once in a while, is this me? Am I flowing in that? Am I really a Christian? Am I really a follower of Jesus? Or do I just go to church? Because this is the heart of Jesus. And how does he end it? He ends by saying, got to pray for more workers. We need more people to join the mission, he's saying. This mission of rescuing. A better word for salvation is a rescuing mission. Think about it. If you, if you found yourself in the middle of the ocean, shipwrecked, and there's a boat that came and rescued you, but then there's more people shipwrecked, what would you do? I would hope that once you're rescued, you're like, man, I'm good. I got to go back and help rescue one more person and help bring in one more person and help one more person and just help one more person. Why? Because I'm rescued to be a rescuer. He says, man, that's what it means to be a worker. It's to join in with him. He's been on this journey for 2,000 years. He's been doing this. Rescuing people all over the world. And saying, guys, we can reach more if we had more workers. If we had more people willing to do more than go to church, but be the church. It's the model that you would find throughout the entire New Testament. Go look it up. 27 books following this model. 27 books all doing what Jesus said we should be doing. Can I prove it to you? Watch this. Here's the New Testament in a nutshell. New Testament has four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all to show you this Jesus, his life, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, and his transformation into God again in heaven. And then say, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to fill you so you can go and do what I do. You get done with the Gospels, you get to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is literally the birth of the church movement. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to fill you with the Spirit, and you are going to go all out and bring this good news everywhere that you go. Starting in your backyard in Jerusalem, but then you got to go a little bit further and, and get, to, get to the ends of the earth little by little. And if interesting, go look up Acts chapter 8. Crazy birth movement of the church. Thousands are getting saved. But then they got complacent. Halfway through Acts, Acts chapter 8, they're still in Jerusalem. But the problem is Jesus is like, I didn't call you to stay in Jerusalem. I called you to go out. And you know what Jesus allowed to happen? Persecution. And you know what persecution did? Dispersed them. And when they dispersed, everywhere they went, the gospel was preached. Once in a while, God will allow persecution to get us out of our comfort zone so we can go out and do what he's called us to do so we're not complacent. 
You finish with Acts, you get to the letters. Letters written to churches in cities. Cities like Rome, Corinth, Thessalonica. All for the people of God. Everywhere they went, they planted churches and they established leadership. And then they would send these letters. It was a technology of the day to say, hey, here's how you continue to be the church. Here's how you continue to do the will of God. Here's the things you need to stop doing because now you're not part of the world anymore. You're in Jesus. And if you're in Jesus, you are a new person. The old is gone. The new has come. Live on mission. Stay focused. Stay rooted. Stay grounded in God's will. Every single letter was written to you Plural, not you, individual. Because God cares about his church more than the individual. See, what's crazy is it's not just city churches, there's home churches. John, for example, writes to home churches to say, guys, you got you to gotta push together. You got to believe together. Do not let selfishness get the best of you. You can't say you love God if you don't love people. All to church people to make sure they're living on mission. The only letters written to individuals are mentoring letters. Titus, 1st and 2nd Timothy, who are these people? These are the people that Paul picked to mentor so they can actually do what? Build the church. It's like I'm going to mentor you to be the best possible version of yourself so you can help shitty build the church, not build your social media platform. And then you get to Revelation, oh my God, how do we jack up this book? The whole thing ends with the book of Revelation where we have jacked this thing up trying to find the Antichrist, trying to figure out the end of the world, but now realizing the original context is Jesus wrote it to seven local churches in Asia Minor. America is not in it. Americans are so selfish, we try to put ourselves in the Bible. People are still trying to find Trump in there, Barack Obama in there, the Antichrist in there. Like, it's not there. We miss the heart. The heart of Revelation is actually Jesus coming to one of his pastors named John to say, man, I know that things are hard right now. You're going through persecution. I need you to write this stuff down. Send it to the seven local churches because they're getting complacent. They're getting lazy. They're getting critical. They need to get back on mission. They need to get back on focus because if you guys want me to come back, you need to be working. He never told us to build charts and graphs and try to figure out when he's coming back. He even said, he said, I don't even know when I'm coming back. But here we are smarter than Jesus again. Because we think we're smarter than Jesus. And we have been wrong every time. Stop trying to see when Jesus is coming back and start living like he's in you already. Because when he comes back, he wants to find you working. He said, when the Son of Man comes back, will he find faith on earth? Because we're too busy on ourselves and not doing the work. He wants you to come back. I don't know if you catch this. Go read the parables about his coming back. Every time he's saying, I hope I catch you in action. <laughs> I hope I catch you doing what I called you to do. I hope I don't catch you napping. Ten virgins. I hope I don't catch you napping. Go look it up. I'm not making this stuff up. It says, I hope I find you feeding the poor, helping the hungry, restoring the lost. I hope I find you doing the father's business like I was about my father's business. 
That's the real Jesus of the Bible, not the American Jesus we've created to bless us. If I was talking about your best life now, we'd all be leaning in. Tell me how I can make more money. But Jesus says you can make more money, but here's the thing. You can you keep building your own thing, but one day it might be too late because he said, look, you might win the whole world but lose your soul. So we need to test ourselves to see, man, is this really the Jesus that I'm following? Or have I created a meanity version of this thing that has nothing to do with Jesus? Jesus gives the local churches a mission. And since this church was established in 1988, starting in Rhode Island, that's been the heart. Like, we got we to gotta be about the Father's business. That's why today is exciting to send out more people to go be about the Father's business in a different place. But all of us have a role to play. If it was up to me, this is not Jesus, this is me. Every two years, I would take about 100 of y'all and start a new business somewhere else, a new community somewhere else. Because if we're on mission, we don't get on each other's nerves. I don't know if you ever heard the story of a bunch of friends who decided to go on a fishing trip. About five friends decided, hey, we're going to rent this, this car or we're going to go on a fishing trip. And they get there. The weather was bad. They couldn't fish. And so they're in this little, you know, van and they're trying to figure out things to do. And they're playing cards and they're doing all the different things. It's day one. It's cool. Nothing wrong. Day two, the weather's still bad. You know, they're still doing their thing, trying to play cards, trying to buy time. And then by day three, they're starting to get on each other's nerves. And you know why they got on each other's nerves? Because he was called to fish who don't fish, will fight. Tell me that's not a picture of the church. Bored out of our minds, fighting with each other over theology, over doctrine, over nonsense. When we're like, we're called to fish. We're called to be out there fishing. Because if I'm fishing, I have no business worrying about what you're doing. So this is, this is, this, this is the heart of God, my friends. This is not us come up with this stuff. Since 1988, man, we've been, we've been trying to figure out, God, where are you, where are you trying to take us? And, and so far, this is what, this is what God has been, do, been able to do through this local church. We started in Smithfield, Rhode Island, and then have one in Warwick, Fall River, came here about nine years ago, about to launch Brockton next week. We have a campus behind bars of, of Shirley Prison. I've been a Christian for 24 years. One of the best church services I've ever been to was a Shirley. With dudes who are doing life side by side, worshiping the same Jesus that we worship here. And I felt like, man, we're not in prison. Man, there's freedom here. We're really in the presence of God. And we baptize some of these hardcore dudes. And I'm like, God, we all need to go to jail once in a while. Because you don't know Jesus is all you got until Jesus is all you got. And we are working with Pastor Antonio and K. Verde. You should see the church. Oh, better yet, you should see where they gather as a church. A little tiny one-car garage. Man, we went there and, 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 and uh, Tommy and Amy, uh, Todd and Amy, we were there in tears, weeping. Because we're like, man, Jesus, you're right here. We can sense your presence in this little tiny garage because he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So now we're working to expand it because Jesus wants to reach more people in Cape Verde. 
We're right now actively looking for land to build a church in Kvert. Because that's the heart of Jesus. And we have people online watching right now. We have people, believe me, go look it up. We people ping us from all over the world. It blows my mind, the power of technology, that we can reach people everywhere. I talked to a young man who follows us this morning in Verde. I was talking to him. Why? The power of technology for us to be able to reach people exactly where they are. That's the beauty of being part of the church. Not just go to church. About nine years ago when, when we moved here, like I said, it was about 20 of us. My wife and I decided, Jesus, if, if we're going to go, we want to put down roots. We want to buy a house because we don't want it to be a plan B. If things don't work out, we don't want to run away. So before we started the church, we bought a house. Because we were like, our model was, and it still is, build the church and die trying. That's the heart that Jesus gave us. We meet at so many different schools. We've, we probably have used every school in this city to have church. But each time we moved, Jesus was with us on the move. Because it's not about the building. It's about his people. Who, wherever they go, he's there. But I remember, man, it was about year one or two that I would walk around the city and pray what they've been doing for over a year now, walking around the city, praying, doing street team. Why? Because that's how you get hard for people. And my heart began to really break for the people in the city and around it. And that's where the whole thing came about, where I started saying, we're going to be a church for the unchurched. Because I don't know about you, I didn't move my family to New Bedford to recycle Christians. Like that, there's zero excitement in my bones when I see people just who came from another church. There's nothing wrong with that because God will call you from one place to another. There's seasons. But man, that's not what excites me. What excites me is to see people who didn't have a church, who didn't have a place to call home, to be able to come and find hope in Jesus. Like, it blows my mind, my friends, what people make church about that has nothing to do with Jesus. The stuff that I've heard since being here blows my mind. I should write a book about the stuff Christians say that blows your mind. <laughs> blows my mind where people's heart are, what their requests are. People come in and go, here's what I'm looking for in a church pastor. Say, like, wait, where's Jesus? I thought he's the one that tells the church what to do, not you. I will stay at this church if they have this kind of ministry. Wait, so it's about you. I didn't like the song we, we did today. Wait, I didn't know we were worshiping you. Pastor, I was really offended when you said, what makes you think we didn't want to offend you? Right. <laughs> it blows my mind what we do. We make this thing about us. And where's God in all of that? Jesus one time was so furious that he walked into church, flipped tables, and whipped people. And you're offended because I said some words? I didn't whoop you. And that's the CEO of heaven. He said, you turned my house into a den of thieves. We're supposed to be a house of prayer. 
America, man, we've turned the church into consumerism and capitalism instead of a place to worship and, and, and reach his heart and go out and do what he called us to do. That's why messages like this don't excite us, because we don't care about God. We care about us. We all have a romantic idea of what it means to follow God versus the reality of it. That's why a lot of people would rather be religious than to follow Jesus. It's easy to be religious. I'm in control. I'm going to do what I want to do. Then I, and then I want God to bless it. And when God doesn't bless it, I just get mad at him. But I never consulted with him if he wants to bless it in the first place. Quiet in this Presbyterian church. So our heart is for the unchurched because that's Jesus' heart. This next verse is mine of my life verses. It's what I, this is what wakes me up in the morning to do this. When Jesus was asked, man, he, he was pushed by religious people. They tried everything to break them, to break them. They tried everything to get them off course. Because they, they were religious, but they didn't care about people. Personal testimony, the people that have given me the hardest time since I've been here in New Bedford are religious. Not atheists, religious, who think they know God. Look at this, right? In, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is eating supper at Matthew's house, a tax collector, someone that they hated. But here's Jesus having supper with the guy, breaking bread with the enemy. And what do religious people do? Watch this. Look, this house, Matthew was so excited that Jesus was coming to his house, he invited all his friends. He's like, yo, man, this rabbi, this teacher, like, he wants to kick it with me. You guys should all come. And look what the Bible says. This house is with his close followers and a lot of disreputable characters. How do you like that word, disreputable? In other words, a.k.a. shady people. They're in this house. They're with Jesus. They're getting ready to eat. And here comes the religious people. Look what they say. Watch this. This blows my mind. When the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit and licked into Jesus' followers. And look what they said. What kind of example is this from your teacher? Acting cozy with crooks and misfits. This ain't from God. There's no way. That's not gold. <laughs> Look at him. He's wearing Jordans. That can't be gold. <laughs> He's got holes in his jeans. Are you kidding me? And the audacity to wear a varsity jacket? What is wrong with him? <laughs> no heart for people. Just want to be right. Jesus' response is what drives me. It's what compels me to do what I do. Because I want to, I'm trying my best to be like the guy. Look what he says. Go ahead. Jesus over here and shot back. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? He says, go figure out what the scripture means. It's like, you read it, but you don't know what it means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not cuddle insiders. If that's Jesus' heart, am I aligned with that? 
Because when we moved here, man, my heart began to break for people that I'm like, God, I pray we have a church filled with disruptible people because if they're with you, they won't be disruptible for too long because you're in the business of changing people, transforming people, healing people, restoring people. We can wear Jordans but have a heart for God. We can wear holders like Jesus but be holy unto the Lord. We can wear varsity jackets but we're saying, put me in, coach. I want to play. I want to be in your team. I want to be in your corner. I want to do what you call me to do. I don't care what they're doing. I want to do your will. I want to be about my father's business. That's what I want to be about. When you come back, I hope you find me busy as a worker. And you're like, what is a worker? I'm so glad you asked. Because it's very tangible what it means to be a worker that Jesus is talking about. Let me wrap up here. Look, workers is this. Let me give you some plain reality what it means to be a worker so you don't have a fantasy idea, romantic idea of what it means to be a worker. A worker, first of all, prays for people. Because you don't have a heart for God until you pray for people. It's one thing to pray for yourself. It's another thing to pray for others. When you start interceding for others, when you start to go to Brock and say, God, you got to do something here. When you go to Fall River and you're like, God, you got to do something here. When you get saved and you see your friends without Jesus, God, you got to save my friends. You, you, when you get saved and your spouse is not saved, God, you got to save my spouse. When you're saved and your kids ain't saved, man, it makes you pray and cry out, God, save my daughter, save my son. You pray for people. That's a worker. A worker serves because the CEO came to serve. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And then you got people talking about their followers of Jesus, but they don't serve. That's an oxymoron. That's like country music. <laughs> country? Okay. Uh, I'll leave it alone. I just offended some people. Come to the altar and get saved. In your style of music. He says he came to serve, not to be served. You hear people talk, you're like, where's your heart at? Where's your heart at? You don't get excited about the things that Jesus gets excited about. Jesus puts a towel around his waist and washes his disciples' feet. And he says, go do like I did. He didn't say go wash people. He was saying, go serve like I do. Be, you know what would be refreshing to hear? People come up and go, Pastor, you know what I want in the church? I want a church man who serves people to the food pantry, a church who's working on a home for the homeless, a church who's building a house in Cape Verde, a church that has teams that I can get plugged in, a church that actually is the hands and feet of Jesus. How refreshing would that be? Put me in, coach. I want to serve. A worker gives. Because you don't know what you care about until you look at your bank account. I don't care what people say. Your bank account tells you what you really care about. And don't get mad at me. He said it. He said, where your heart is is where your money is. So go look at your bank statement because it's telling you, hey, I know what you care about. Bank statement. Oh, wow, you love Dunkin' Donuts. Wow, you run on Dunkin'. Like, you really run on Dunkin'. 
You can preach the gospel of coffee, like, whoa. And some of y'all, it's like, wow, Starbucks? A coffee for $7.99? You must really love coffee with a side of pumpkin. You ever hear people's order for Starbucks? I'm like, you speaking in tongues? I, I don't understand. I thought I wanted coffee. Some of y'all bank statement, you're like, wow, you really love Target. You can preach the gospel of Target. Look at this. Wow. Are you, are you on staff with Amazon? Oh, God. Because nothing reveals your heart more than when you spend your money on it. Again, we have a romanticized idea of what it means to follow versus the reality of it. You ever hear people who say, I love animals. I just love them. Animals. And Instagram is all about animals. But then you're like, you don't own one. And you've never been to a shelter for animals. You don't care about animals. You love the idea of caring for animals versus the reality of... Let's be real. Some people don't love God. They love the idea of romantic idea of loving God versus the reality of actually loving God. You didn't want to get married. You love the idea of getting married versus the reality. Y'all ain't ready for this. Major difference between what we say and what we do. Funny when... Since we're in the subject, people say, the church just want your money. And then you go look up their bank statement, their bank account, or, or they're giving. You're like, you don't even give. <laughs> like one time, I looked up, this guy who's saying the church on my money, I looked up, I'm like, he gave $5 in a year? Take your $5 back and go sow it in something useful. Crazy the stuff we say versus the reality of it. A worker invites the church because, man, this is too good to keep to myself. It's too good. Went out with a young man this week for lunch. He was asking me about my journey. I said, bro, I got saved. I was 20 years old. I fell in love with Jesus, and I became the designated driver for the church because I'm like, I want to pick up as many people as possible just to come hear this amazing gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how I started ministry. No, no, God never said, I'm still waiting for God to say, behold, you're going to be a pastor. <laughs> I just started doing what was in front of me, and he just, for some reason, he decided to give me more to do. You know, there's probably a clerical error in heaven, and I'm doing this. I'm going to get there. They'd be like, what were you doing? I was like, I don't know. It was just in front of me. I was just doing. I never heard the voice. People still waiting to do something. It's like, do what's in front of you and see what God will lead you. He disciples others. One of the things that breaks my heart about church is people become veterans in the church, but they don't help nobody else. It's like, don't you know everything you've learned is to help another person? Matter of fact, you don't know what you know until you deposit in someone else. No wonder we're church. We're bored out of our mind. Why? Because we're being fed, but we're not feeding anyone. 
That's the sad reality of church. We're coming to church asking for more. God, give me more. Give me more. Give me. Give me. My name is Jimmy. I want more. But God's like, how am I going to give you more? I can't trust you with what they already gave you. To him, much is given, much is required. It's about, it's about depositing into others. You don't know you're a follower of Jesus unless you're making disciples. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. If you've been a Christian for more than a couple of years, man, start thinking about who you're going to feed, pour into. And lastly, a worker lives in community. Why? Because Jesus created us to be in community. God is a community, people. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One doesn't move without the other. What makes us think we can do life alone? That's me-anity, not Christianity. That's why we have crews. Who came up with crews? Jesus. One of the first order of business in his ministry is like, all right, let me pick 12 guys we're going to do life with. And we're going to do everything together. We're going we're gonna to grow together. We're going to challenge each other. That's why we have crews. We're not doing this because it's luxury. We're doing it because it's a necessity that God said, I don't want you doing life alone. I want you to have other people around you. So test yourself to see if you're really a Christian. Because you don't want to be surprised when you get before him and he's like, I don't know you. It's the scariest verse in the entire Bible. Every time I read him and he goes right through me, it's like, Jesus, I don't want to be doing something that I think is your will. Please, my friends, just because you're here doesn't mean you're in his will. He says, Depart from me, I never knew you. You weren't about my, my business. We want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. So as we take communion today, my friends, you, you have to understand the power of community. Please, before you take communion, check your heart. Because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Every you in the Bible, Y-O-U, is plural. It's like I'm doing this for you, plural, my body of Christ, my community of people. It's important to do self-inventory before you take communion. Make sure you're right, your heart is in the right place. That there's nothing hindering that relationship with Jesus. That if there's anything you need to repent from, you better repent before you take communion because it will mean nothing. It will be just a, a ritual that you did, but it won't have any effect in your life. So take a moment as the worship team comes. Take a moment to reflect I want to encourage you, bow your heads for a second. Why do we bow our heads? Self-reflection. Am I really in the middle of God's will? Is there anything in me that is not of God? What do I need to repent from 
before I come to the table to receive Holy Communion. Jesus died for our sins. Not for us to live in them. For us to repent from them. To turn away from anything that's not his will. When you hear a message like today, man, it, it, should, it should make you check your heart. I've been checking my heart all week because he preaches to me first. I hope you know that. And I want to make sure that there's nothing in me that's not in line with him. His blood was shed for me, for you. Once in a while, you hear someone need a blood transfusion. Why? Because there's life in the blood. Spiritually speaking, there's life in Jesus' blood. He came to give us a spiritual transfusion. Our blood is dirty. We need healing. We need forgiveness. His body was broken. It's an exchange. It says, man, I, I want to let my body be broken so that you may be healed. And the Bible says, by his stripes we are healed. It's an exchange. I give him my brokenness, he gives me his healing. That's communion, the real power of communion. So as we get ready, my friends, invite the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Search my heart, oh God. See if there's anything in me that doesn't align with you. I came to repent. Fill in the blanks. What are you repenting from today? Be specific. Don't let nothing or anyone hinder your harmony with the Lord. Confess your sins, the Bible says, so that you may be healed. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us from all unrighteousness. Forgive us, Lord, when our hearts don't align with you. Our thoughts are not your thoughts. Our ways are not your ways. Today we pray, align us. Reset our hearts back to you, back to your will, back to your heart. Let's go ahead and peel back the first layer of communion and get the communion bread. Matthew 26. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave to the disciples saying, take this and eat, for this is my body. Let's eat.
And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it. For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's drink. Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for forgiveness of sin. Thank you that by your stripes we are healed physically, emotionally, spiritually. Lord, thank you that we can exchange our brokenness for your wholeness. Thank you that we can exchange our unrighteousness for your righteousness, our chaos for your peace, our selfishness for your unselfishness, unconditional love. Oh, fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, empower us to go out into the world and be the people you called us to be. God, today I pray that you are aligning our hearts with you. That our thoughts may be your thoughts, our ways may be your ways. Set our hearts on fire, Jesus. That we may live in the fullness of your will, we pray. And we pray with gratitude in Jesus' name. And we all said, let's stand together. We're going to open up a time of prayer. My friends, when you hear a message like this, make sure you... Don't let it be in here, out the other. Be a good soil and say, God, do what you need to do in me that I may produce fruit.